welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Grace and peace to you, Emmaus Road. Uh, grace, uh, the great favor of God to be upon you, to be filling you, to be in you, to be flowing through you, and peace, this wholeness that we would stand in a place of a non-anxious presence in the world with Jesus. I've been looking and watching uh, over, the, over the incredible miracle of technology at your community in these days. What a beautiful example of hope and grace and peace that you're being in the world uh, that you're living in. Love your neighbor, you know, looking outside of yourselves at such a time as this and movements of prayer and generosity. Wow. Uh, I continue to be a fan, to be a someone that's celebrating all that God's doing through you. And like the Apostle Paul, you know, when I think and I, I hear about your works, uh, I thank God for you. I'm so thankful. And of course, uh, a friend of Pete's and uh, journeying with the 24-7 prayer movement and having been so impacted in my own life by much of what's going on in that part of the world. And uh, so I'm so thankful to you. Grace and peace be upon you. And uh, we're going to talk. I get to talk uh, with you on uh, revolutionary economics of the early church. Woohoo! Everybody wants to talk about money. Show me the money. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Show me the money and uh, wealth and resource and power. You know, economics is not just about money, although money seems to be at the center of economic systems, but it also is about resource and it also is about power. Uh, funny enough, I've been reading Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, speeches, particularly leading up to his assassination. And one of his growing convictions uh, was that there were three evils that sins that America had at the heart of it. And one was racism and one was economics. One was a, a, a excessive capitalism that had at its uh, real problem of wealth distribution. And it kept people, a lot of people, millions of people oppressed. And then, of course, militarism. He was a, a pacifist, a nonviolent resistor. So uh, he had those three twins. And I hadn't really uh, thought through some of the economic arguments until I read Martin Luther King Jr.'s paper. And, you know, it's really fascinating because he, and I think we had this conversation uh, a lot, especially when we talk about the early church and economics, is we kind of have these big philosophical conversations about, you know, were they socialists? You know, are they communists? Are they uh, capitalists? You know, this early church, and we're going to read two uh, sections of Acts, the early church, just so we can see for ourselves from the scripture what was going on there. Um, but I think the word revolutionary is so powerful here because revolution is like this overthrow of systems, right? It's this overthrow of old systems and this new sort of new ideas. Revolutions at the heart of them sort of have three components. One is a brand new idea at just the right time. And the other is a catalyst in the community where those ideas can be manifested. And then the third is a means by which those things can keep on going. That news can keep on renewing itself. That's revolution, you know, basics 101. So we're talking about revolutionary. It's a, a new idea 
at just the right time. It's a catalyst uh, for that to happen in a community where that can be demonstrated. And then it has a mechanism in it, some way by which that message of revolution can keep on turning, can keep on going. And we think about the revolutionary economics of the early church, the revolutionary wealth distribution, the revolutionary resources, the revolutionary power of the early church. We're going to see those three things at work. We're going to see a new idea. And I would say that this is a perpetually new idea because it's a kingdom idea. It's God's idea around wealth and resource and power, which will always overthrow the old system ideas. So the early church, the revolutionary economics of the early church are never going to fit within some sort of worldly system of wealth distribution or power or resource. It is going to be a kingdom view. It's an alternative. It's like a new idea at just the right time. And not only was it just the right time in the early church, I would say it's just the right time in the world today as that disparity between the uber wealthy of the world and all of the lower, you know, oppressed people group through wealth distribution in today's world has never been bigger. This is an area of growing concern in the way that our world distributes wealth. What a fantastic conversation uh, we're going to have. Then I'm gonna, I want to talk to you about three ideas around power and resource and wealth that might liberate us from the grip of what I call a closed fisted culture. That's the only definition I can really figure out uh, when it comes to wealth distribution, when it comes to economics. We live in a world that is closed fisted. We have been taught our entire lives to hang on, to hold, to keep, to grasp, to, to to, uh, hang on. And Jesus so beautifully demonstrates in his life and then the early disciples capturing the spirit of open-handed living, revolutionary, brand new ways of living that uh, actually offer a community, a catalytic opportunity to demonstrate something radically different and radically liberating in the way that we live our lives. Wow. Isn't this going to be exciting? Yes. So a couple of passages of scripture that I want to start with, uh, Acts 2, uh, 42. So let's just start with that. I want to read this to you. Uh, and it's just give you a picture of the early church from the scriptures, uh, which I think is always a helpful practice. Here we go. So this is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their home and ate together with glad and sincere hearts and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there's this beautiful, you know, just that little line in there that you probably noticed when we were reading the scripture, that they held everything in common, that they shared their resources together, and that when people had need, those needs were met by the community. I remember uh, a friend of mine going to hear Tony Campolo uh, back in the day at this missions conference. And, you know, she wanted to go hear him because he's so inspirational to listen to. You know, he's just got all these stories and you're just kind of on the, even if you've heard the story before, you know, you're just like, tell it to me again. You know, they're so good. And, um, and she said she's at this mission conference and they had said, you know, we're here to raise, you know, whatever it was, $35,000 or something like that. And he was one of the special guests in this week, you know, four weeks of this raising this missional money. And Tony Campolo just gets up and he says, this is ridiculous. 
if this is just ridiculous, like we all know that in this room right now, all of this money already exists. We don't need four weeks of this. We don't need four weeks of entertainment to get what we need for the poor of the world. Everybody has enough right now. This is like, there is no doubt in my mind. Now my friend remembers this so vividly because she had just cashed her check and she was a student, you know, she was still sort of taking toilet paper rolls wherever she could get them and kind of sneaking them in. So she was kind of living in need in a way as a student. And so she was just kind of horrified as these words were coming out of Tony's mouth. Cause he just said, here's what I want to do. Even before I preach, I want to take an offering and I want to challenge every single person here to give everything they have right now. <laughs> and my friend was like, no, not today. Like, why did I cash that check? You know, I remember, uh, my husband is so generous and he used to go to these revival meetings where money was a big feature. You know what I mean? Like they were always taking up three offerings at a time and they were really generous. Like they would buy whole churches for struggling communities and stuff. It wasn't a problem with their motive. I just remember saying to my husband before he would leave the house, how much money do you have in your pocket? Cause I knew that whatever money he had, he would give entirely away. And, um, and so anyway, I used to try to be like, can we at least be reasonable about this? But of course there is no reasonability to generosity. Generosity is excessive by its very definition. So my friend gave everything that she had and uh, so did everybody else. And before Tony Campolo preached that message, they had more than they needed, which is what it means to be in revolutionary economic reality, right? We have more than we even need when we're willing to share. Uh, Mother Teresa talks about this uh, with a reporter who came to visit her and spent the day with her and, um, and sort of said to her, I don't even know how you can believe God and believe in God and sort of dedicate your life to God when such terrible poverty exists in the world. And Mother Teresa just looked at that man sort of sadly and said, oh, don't you go blaming poverty on God. <laughs> Terrible poverty exists in this world simply because God's children refuse to share. Ouch. This example of the early church, you know, the, it's an example of them capturing the spirit of generosity. It is not another external code. There is no have to here. It's not duty. It's not obligation. It's not, you know, I should do this or else I'm not going to measure up. There's none of that because grace is free. Grace and peace flows freely. This is God's generous gift. And as we receive the generosity of God himself, as we are renewed in our mind about what it even means to be wealthy, what it even means to be rich, what it even means to be uh, in a community that is a sign and a wonder is a revolutionary act in a despairing world. When we capture that, we simply open our hands and our lives to become generous people. And so um, let's, let's look at the next passage of scripture in Acts chapter four. And this is Acts chapter four. And again, it's near the end. It's a 32. Acts chapter four, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Okay, here we go. This is an ownership conversation and a stewardship conversation that I think is really important to have. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. 
Just read that again. There were no needy persons among them. And then check this out. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as they had need. Now, this is fascinating because uh, lots of times the conversations around the economics and the revolutionary economics of the early church gets sort of put into, you know, were they communists, were they socialists, were they Marxists, were they capitalists, you know, like all these sort of things. And the answer, you know, to that question is that they were none of those things. They were an alternative uh, system. There was an alternative community going on. There was a revolutionary rethinking of what it meant to be in relationship with one another. And of course, in that passage, of scripture, one of the things, one of the signs and wonders of the early church was that they eradicated poverty. They eradicated poverty in this community. There was nobody among them in need. Everybody shared. There was an open-handed, there was a spirit of generosity. And we also know that there were people who held property, so private property. We understand that that was happening because they had uh, cashed those in when there was a requirement for them. They would cash them in. So there's this open-handed, generous posture that was going on. Right after this passage of scripture, by the way, you can go on and uh, read about Ananias and Sapphira and just the mystery and the... the, holiness, you know, just the the otherness, the real importance that God put on this honesty, on this generosity of it being from our hearts and not just something that we're pretending to do, to look good, or not just another religious system that we were going to enact and to hold people to account for those things, Uh, but just this genuineness, this authenticity, this real captured heart. I've been captured by the spirit of generosity. And therefore, this is how I'm going to live. Now, when do the disciples learn this? Of course, Jesus is filled with this. And if you want to go back to the source of a generous leader, of someone who knew how to steward power and wealth and uh, make a difference in this world, freely, open-handed, living 101, it's the person of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, one of my favorite things that Jesus says to the disciples as he sends them out on mission, and as he sends them, uh, he, he gives them this one line. He just says, freely, you receive. Now freely give. And here's what happens in my life. I practice this. I pray this every morning, this generosity prayer. It's one of the ways in which I'm intentionally trying to live through this way of life, this rule of life called infinitum. But I practice this. I close my fists and I say, God, like my natural human posture, what I've learned my whole life, uh, what I see around me is to take and to hold and to keep sort of the spirit of fear. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. My precious wealth. And I ask him by the spirit of the Holy Spirit, you know, by the Holy Spirit, by Christ within me, because I choose to follow you, would you help me to open my hands and my life so that not only can I freely give, but also I could freely receive. This might actually be more important than we think because the reciprocity of generosity has been a game changer for me. See, the inexhaustible resources of heaven are available. This is Jesus saying to the disciples over and over and over again in the Gospels, why are you so concerned with wealth? Why are you so concerned with resources? Why are you so concerned? Why are people building whole buildings just to store their stuff in? Don't they know that that could be easily destroyed, that moths get in there, that it gets ruined, that it gets spoiled? Like, don't they understand that God provides everything in the created order with what it needs? 
And the truth of the matter is we don't understand. Our minds have been distorted by worldly notions of power and worldly notions of wealth and worldly notions of keeping, of closed-handed living. So how do I open my hands? How do I do that? This freely I receive is really helpful to me to know that this is a resource that is not just mine. Um, I remember when this occurred to me, when this, this revelation happened to me, I was, um, I was uh, at a Salvation Army uh, pastor's gathering. I didn't want to be there. I was full of, I was speaking in America at an event and somebody made me come back early and I was a little bit begrudged and I was tired and I got there a little bit late. And so when I went to check in, I remember uh, the person at the check-in desk said to me, you know, we forgot you were coming. And so there's no rooms left, except there's this one room and it doesn't have a door. And so this was how it was going. And I was just like, and I was just in, you know, just in a mess. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go for a quick run and shake off this judgment, you know, just this like bad mood. So I go for this run and I come back. It's beautiful. Northern British Columbia. And I come back uh, from the run and somebody from the dining hall, they're all having dinner. Nobody told me about dinner. And so they're all having dinner and I can see them there. And one of the, the leader of this event comes running across the field. Oh, Danielle, you know, thank God you're here. And I, I thought to myself, you know, very humbly, finally, you know, somebody recognizes this like greatness among them. And uh, I'm just, you know, being honest with you, please stop judging me. And uh, anyway, uh, she passed me the credit card and she said, you know, there's this homeless couple that's been stranded uh, the next town over and we just wondered who could go and help them. And we just thought if only Danielle was here. And then it turns out uh, here she is right here. And uh, so I took the credit card and I said, of course, with my mouth, it would be a privilege to help. But in my heart, uh, of course, I said some other things. <laughs> and I remember just like, driving, just like, oh, am I the only person left in the world that cares about the poor? You know, just uh, all of those holy thoughts, you know, and I, I pull over to this homeless couple. I'm like, I hear you need some help, you know, get in. And so they get in and uh, I say to them, you know, what do you need? And they said, well, you know, we're pretty hungry. And I'm like, yeah, get in line. You know, we're all hungry. <laughs> and then they said, and then we're going to need a bus ticket. We got to get out of here. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, you and me both. And uh, we drive to this uh, grocery store, you know, this small little grocery store in the middle of nowhere, northern British Columbia, it's northern western Canada. And uh, I remember the first thing that hit us when we walked into the store was the smell of strawberries. I remember it to this day because it was just like, you know, the smell of fresh strawberries. And also, did your mother teach you never go shopping when you're hungry, right? So we're all hungry. And we walk into the shopping place and we smell these strawberries. I'm like, you guys smell those strawberries? And they're like, oh, yeah, we do. And we all look over to the strawberry to the strawberries and we see the sign for how much the strawberries are and they're like they're exorbitant I mean they're ridiculous like ten dollars for one strawberry you know what I mean like it's just ridiculous and uh and then we all just sort of go oh we can't get the strawberries you know and then I remembered I remembered that I had the credit card for this Salvation Army in my back pocket <laughs> and I said do you guys want strawberries and they're like yeah and I was like, then let's get the strawberries, you know, so we get the strawberries and then everything began to change for me in that shopping thing. Like everything began. I was just like, don't just get bread, get the olive encrusted, you know, almond sprinkled kind. I don't know. Like, let's just go. And we're eating in the store. And we're having this awesome time. And it's just become this like joy filled experience. And we're all super happy. And I'm checking out cha-ching, you know, and then I get them to the bus and I'm like, are there any first class bus tickets? Which of course there are not, but I got them the best seats I could, a cha-ching, you know, and I got them that. And then I said, 
is there anything else I can do for you before you, you go, you know? And they said to me, yeah, we would like uh, something. And I said, what is it? And they said, we'd like whatever it is you have. And I said, you can't have the credit card. <laughs> That's mine. I'm keeping that for as long as possible. They said, no, we don't want the credit card. We want whatever this is. What is this that's just happened right now? What is this joy? What is this freedom? Like, what is this experience that we just had together? And I was like, oh, that, that, that's Jesus. That's the kingdom. That's Jesus. That's freely I received and freely I give. You know, this is, this is the spirit of Christ that's happening right here. This is joy, you know. They're like, we want that. Can you pray for us that we could get that? And I said, I sure can. And I was able to lead them uh, to a relationship, into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. A sign and a wonder is generosity. And I was driving back to the camp and I was so excited. You know, I was just like, woohoo, this is my life. You know, just two, two new people who discovered the radical, generous spirit of Jesus, you know, and in the kingdom of God. And, and I get to do this, you know, like I was all excited and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, Danielle, what happened? And I said, what do you mean? What happened? Like you were there, like you saw what happened. It was just incredible. You know, just, he goes, no, 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 not, not that. Not that part. He said, what changed? I said, what do you mean what changed? Like, this is my life. This is what I do. He goes, no, no, I was here on the drive to the homeless couple. And, and now here I am on the drive back. So what changed in your attitude? What changed in your life? What changed in your posture? Tell me what changed. And so I thought about what changed and when it changed. And here it was. Everything changed when I realized I had a resource bigger than my own. Everything changed when I realized I had a resource bigger than my own. And when Jesus tells the disciples, freely you've received, right? Uh, freely give. It is in this idea that when you capture the revolutionary idea that everything that you've received is a gift, <laughs> Everything that you've received is a gift. It's a gift. And that even the material stuff is just like the surface of that gift. The, Im the immense, immeasurable resources of heaven are at your disposal every single day. This is how Jesus says, mercy new every morning. You need strength? Today, I'll give it to you. You need wisdom? Just ask and I will generously pour it out. You need forgiveness? It's inexhaustible. You will be forgiven and forgiven and forgiven every day. You can be forgiven of your sins if you follow the Lord's prayer. I mean, this is inexhaustible resources of heaven. You need courage. You need boldness. You need peace. You need grace. Pour it out. We are freely receiving. And one of the postures of this closed-fisted culture means that we cannot receive. And Jesus says to the disciples like this, the rich... Those that are hanging on to what it is that they have right now, that's all they've got. That's all they've got. Some people are so poor, someone once put it, all they have is money. So open-handed living in a closed-fisted culture. Here's three ideas that might help us. One, everything's a gift. It's not yours. It's God's. All of the resources, all of the wealth, all of the possessions, all of the, the power, it's not yours. 
you remember uh, when Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate was sort of saying like, you should probably talk to me because I have the power to end your life. And you could almost hear Jesus laugh. You know, this guy thinks he has power over my life. You know what I mean? Like, he's just like, oh, the only power you have is the power that God has given you. Everybody is living in this constant state of gift. If you understand that you've been given a gift, everything is a gift. It's not yours. It will liberate you from the power of possession. It really will. Here's another thing. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe all of this wealth is for something bigger than you. Maybe all of these resources is for something beyond you. Maybe all of the things that it is that you have are not just uh, from you and are also not just for you. See, a, a worldly conception of wealth would say that everything that you have is for you. But a kingdom idea of wealth is that everything that you have has been given for you to distribute. You are merely a steward of all it is that God wants to do in the world. And one other misconception of uh, wealth that might help you be relieved of its weight is that it's limited. <laughs> is that it's limited. Uh, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Or as Bono likes to say, my God ain't short of cash, mister. There isn't an unlimited resource of wealth when it comes to kingdom resource. And we've talked a little bit about that, the inexhaustible resources of heaven. It's not limited, it's unlimited. And when you capture that, you, it gives you sort of this kingdom credit card that can liberate you to then give so generously. That everything is a gift. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. And that maybe, actually, for sure, everything has been given to you to steward. You are a steward and not an owner of uh, wealth. And what does that do? That liberates us. It liberates us, even from the inside. It liberates us from the weight. It liberates us from the greed. It liberates us from the grip so that we can be able to radically share, be radically generous so that those who are living among us would not be in need. Wouldn't it be amazing if the church could be part of the eradication of poverty in the world? <laughs> Not only amazing, I think it would be, I think it would be kingdom sign and a wonder. I think it would be what it is that God has raised up the church to be. Uh, when the disciples saw a hungry crowd in their early formative discipleship years, they were petrified. They were so scared and they just said, send them away because we don't have enough. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, you feed them. <laughs> And the disciples are like, ah, uh, that's not going to happen. Like, it's going to take us two years to get the money. You know, and Jesus is still like, they're still thinking in terms of money. Like, they're still thinking in terms of economics as just some form of what they possess. And then he says, what do you have? Now, lots of commentators of that, Matthew's gospel, by the way, the feeding of the 5,000, when Jesus has everybody sit in these little groups and the, the boy starts first, you know, we have these, these fish and these loaves, and then Jesus gives thanks and he breaks these fish and loaves. And uh, many commentaries suggest that the real miracle of that story is not just that Jesus multiplied, but that everyone began to share. Either way, it's a miracle. When people begin to open their lives and their heart, when people start with a closed-fisted culture or a spirit of poverty or a spirit of wealth, and they begin to actually open themselves up to the revolutionary, generous posture 
of Jesus. Whew. Miracle time, baby. It's miracle time. I hope that you can capture that. I hope you can be freed from the grip of fear and anxiety, the weight, the burden of wealth. I pray that you can be liberated and uh, be open-handed in a closed-fisted uh, world. Let me pray with you. God, thank you so much for your generous nature. Thank you that everything we need, we can access. Thank you that you are the great provider. Thank you that you have an inexhaustible resource of your kingdom come. And I pray right now for my brothers and sisters at Emmaus Road and anyone who might be watching this, I pray that you would move radically in us, the right idea at the right time. Let us be a catalyst. Let us be a community that can show the power of your generous nature. And we pray, God, that we would continue to show, to continue to demonstrate this so it could be caught and it could be practiced all around the world. We're praying in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.